0: How many of you have heard this phrase or spoken this phrase or had your kids say it? Maybe as a child, maybe as an adult, maybe you you said it this weekend, you were traveling, are we there yet? How many times have you heard that in your lifetime or spoken that? In today's passage, Paul is looking at this group and he's reminding them that they're not at the finish line, that there's this race that they're in. It's not a sprint. It's not a 100-yard dash in light of the Olympics going on now. Just picture this endurance run. Picture, if you can, maybe a marathon. When you run a marathon... You run, and you can't see the finish line until you're almost there. And sometimes when you run marathons, you run up hills, you, run, you turn left, you go back in the woods, you travel on streets and highways, you find yourselves in all kinds of terrain, yet you don't know necessarily what's coming next, and you don't know where the finish line is, or you can't see the finish line in front of you until it's your time to go, And so Paul uses this analogy that we're in this race and run in such a way so that you finish the race with everything you have because we're not there yet. In the 1968 Olympics, there was a runner that demonstrated what it meant to start something and to finish something. His name was John Stephen Akari. And back in the 1968 Olympics, during this time, it was the first time that it was in Latin America. John Stephen Akari, however, had not trained at such altitude before, so he was impacted by that. It affected him physically. In fact, it was one of the hottest recorded days for a marathon that afternoon in Mexico City. When the men's marathon, if you're not familiar with the Summer Olympics, it's the last event in the Olympics. It started at 3 p.m. in the afternoon. Out of the 74 marathon runners from various countries, 17 of them didn't finish the race because of the heat. In the early parts of the race, the story says that John Stephen Akari cramped up due to the high altitude of Mexico City. And somewhere around 19 kilometers mark, the Tanzanian was jockeying for a position, the story says, between some runners and he was hit. And he took a horrible fall, fell early in the race, whacked his head, damaged his knee, and endured a trampling by other runners. They ran over him in the midst of this marathon. Despite his injuries, the history records that John Stephen Akari pressed on and continued. And when the medical staff asked him if he wanted to quit, he kept saying over and over again, I will not quit, I'm gonna finish this race the time, 7 p.m., the closing ceremonies had just completed. The stadium was emptying with a few spectators and athletes still warming from the euphor of the celebration. They gathered their belongings to leave the stadium. The winner, Mama Waldi of Ethiopia, finished the race an hour before. Now imagine that. These are Olympic runners. He finished an hour after the winner did. Down the boulevard, the story says, came whines of police sirens. From the vantage point, many in the stadium could see motorcycles with their flashing blue lights encircling someone, making his way towards the stadium. A lone runner having the, his leg bandaged and bloody, wearing the colors of Tanzania, had just emerged to the stadium gate. It was John Stephen Akari, who was in obvious pain and hobbling towards the finish line limping. The Tanzanian found the last of his endurance to step up his pace and finish the race that he started. Here's a snapshot of him finishing the race.
1: This is the final award ceremony in track and field at the Mexico City Olympics, and to but three men go the rewards. And so, for them, the long ordeal is over. But what about the others? For some, the reward is a personal one, the knowledge that they finished what they set out to do. A little over an hour after Mama Walde crosses the finish line, John Stephen Akwari of Tanzania approaches the stadium the last man to complete the journey. A voice calls from within to go on, and so he goes on. Afterwards it was written, Today we have seen a young African runner who symbolizes the finest in the human spirit. A performance that gives true dignity to sport. A performance that lifts sport out of the category of grown men playing at games. A performance that gives meaning to the word courage. All honor to John Stephen Akwari of Tanzania. Perhaps the words of John Stephen Aquari epitomize all that is right in the human spirit. When asked why he did not quit, he said simply, My country did not send me 5,000 miles to start the race. They sent me 5,000 miles to finish the race.
0: I love that response. My country didn't send me 5,000 miles to start the race. My country sent me 5,000 miles to finish the race. Think about that for a second. God did not put you in this race to just start the race. God put you in this race to finish the race. And Paul brings that metaphor alive today in A very challenging passage as he's looking at the Philippian church and he's looking at us today. And he's going to ask you, as he asked me already as I read this this week Are we finishing the race that we started in such a way that it brings glory to God? We are in a race, it's this long marathon of running. And the point is this we're not just in it to start it, we're in it to finish it well. Grab your Bibles and I'm going to show you what I mean. And turn to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 12 through 14. If you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Our ushers will put one in your hand. But turn to Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 12 to 14. Stand with me, and we'll read it out loud together. Philippians 3. Now, picture again, if you haven't been following along, maybe this is your first Sunday here. Paul wrote this letter, he is in prison. He's chained, he's writing to this church that he hasn't seen in 10 years, he helped plant this church, he has known Christ for 25 years, he got saved on the Damascus Road, so fast forward 25 years later in Paul's life, he's writing this letter, he's chained, and he's talking about running a race, and he wants this church to get this. Let's read chapter 3, verses 12 to 14 out loud. Read, read, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. You may have a seat. Right away we see he's reminding us that we're supposed to keep moving. We're supposed to keep going. We're supposed to keep growing. That we haven't finished the race that we began. And this race is a marathon, it's not a sprint. In fact, for some of us, we're we're closer to the finish line. In fact, we don't know when the finish line occurs. We don't know when our, for some, it might be this afternoon, you might breathe your last breath. And so the point is, we should always be in a position, always be in a posture, always be fit enough that we're given all that we have because this could be the last day that we cross over from death to life and we finish this race on planet earth. There is nothing stationary about walking with Jesus. There's nothing stationary about walking with Jesus. Nothing stationary When you're walking in the spirit, you're moving in the spirit. When you're training yourself, you're growing, you're learning, you're moving. It is a race. And nowhere do we see in this race where it is stationary. Paul has shown us already so much in this letter. You and I are in a race, a race that is invitation only. It's not something that we entered by ourselves. It's not like we can sign up and say, hey, God, can I be in this race called life with you? Can I jump in? Most of us, when we want to run a race, we find a location that's close to us. We find maybe a a style of race that we like. Maybe you're a 5k, a 10k. Maybe you like mutters or or Spartan Runs, and maybe you like marathons. Whatever it is, you find what you want to do. You go on the internet or you find out from someone else, and you sign up. You say, I'm going to put myself in that race. I am going to sign myself up and maybe a friend to run this race because this is a race that I want to run. But this race isn't by you signing up. It's an invitation that Jesus has put you in. He put you in this race. In fact, it's a powerful picture of the sovereignty of God. Look at verse 12 again. Paul says this Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take what? What's the word? Hold of that for which Christ Jesus took what of me? Hold of me. It's this picture that we got into the race, God put us in the race. We got into the race because God put us in. God took hold of us. Christ Jesus took hold of us. And he said, you know what? I'm reaching down. It's the picture of he selected us. He elected us. He saved us from the foundation of the world. You are mine. And now that you are mine, I got a hold of you and I'm putting you in this race. We didn't just sign up and say, hey, let me run in that race called Christ following race. Let me be a Christian. No, he initiated. He saved us. He elected us. He predestined us. He grabbed a hold of us. And scripture says not only that, that he holds us and no one can ever pluck us from this race. Amen to that today? So this race, God put us into it. We didn't sign up for it on our own. Beautiful picture of the sovereignty of God. There isn't anything any clearer in Scripture than this that says, I am going to take hold of what Christ has already taken hold of. He took hold. He said, you're mine. You're in this race. Now go run it. Let me just say this about this race, this marathon. Jesus would never put us in a race he didn't think we couldn't run or finish. And the only reason that we can't or we think we can't run or finish. It's because we choose. God's not going to place us in a journey and say, go run this race, go finish it, seek the goal, unless he equips us, unless he gives us the talent. So at no point in this race does Jesus ever say, you don't have what it takes. We have what it takes in Christ Jesus to finish this race. Powerful picture of the sovereignty of God. That word to take hold, it's an intensified word that means to apprehend or see something. It's the picture of the police officer apprehending someone, grabbing a hold of them and saying, you're in my custody. I have a hold of you and I'm not letting go. We are in Christ's custody. He puts us in this race and we are now his. Think about this for a second. The reason we're in this race. It's because Jesus chased us down and seized us and put us in that race. You and I belong to Jesus Christ. This incredible picture of Christ saving us. And this race is for Christians only. The Christian life didn't begin by us choosing to follow God, but it began by Christ choosing us to follow him. And the reason we are in the race is because Jesus grabbed us and says, I want you to run this race. What an incredible thought, in light of the Olympics. Think about it in this context. We are in this race, and the nation we get to represent isn't the USA, but it's the kingdom of God. (laughs) Like, whoa! So who are you running for? I'm running for Jesus. My, my, my jersey is the kingdom of God. I'm a representative of the kingdom of God, and I'm giving everything I that just fires me up. It should you too. You are a child of God, blood bought by Jesus Christ, and now he says, You're mine. Now go run that race and represent not only the USA, but the kingdom of God powerful truth here today. We get to run this race because he put us in that. It's the picture of a coach, basketball coach. You're sitting on the bench and you're watching this game. You're like, I want to get in. The only way you get into that game is the coach says, hey, hey Brown, go check in. Get in there. And meanwhile, you might want to, and you're, you're, you're sitting there, but God responds first. God says, "Hey, I want you and my team now. Get in the game." And you know what we do? We we follow after that, and that's the picture. God acted first. We freely received it, and now we're in this race with Him. You and I have been apprehended by Jesus to run a race for Him. He's your greatest supporter. He's your greatest fan. He's at the finish line cheering you on. He's at every mile marker when you fall down to pick you back up, and. Along the way, he gives you everything you need to keep going when you can't do it on your own strength. It's in our weakness that he is strong. Amen? Paul's saying, listen, Philippian church. Listen, Grace Community Church. You have what it takes to finish this race. It's not over. The race isn't over. We have yet to see the finish line. It's a daily effort and it requires daily discipline. You never reach the finish line until your last day on earth. Yet some quit running at retirement. Some have quit years ago. You're, you're, you're still there. You're, you're on the path. People are passing you. And you seem like, what are you doing? I'm just checking out for a while. Well, I ran hard for the first five miles. I don't running anymore. You can't leave the race. There's no exit ramps. You can't walk away because once you're in God's eternal grip, no man can pluck you out of the race. So listen to me. If you're going to be in the race, get up and run. That's what Paul's saying. Why? Because we get to point others to Jesus Christ. You can't leave it. The entry fee has already been paid by the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. Paul later said this in 1 Timothy chapter 4. Keep your finger here. The same Timothy that we're reading about here in Philippians. He's with him. And then it says this in 1 Timothy. Paul, Paul wrote a letter to Timothy trying to encourage him. And in 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul, Paul says this to the same Timothy that's nearby him in prison. He says this in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. He says, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather train yourself to be what? Look again at verse, chapter 4 and verse 7. Have nothing to do with godless myths, Timothy, and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. Train. Exercise. Beat your body. Develop discipline. Why? Why? The goal is to be more like Christ. And he's saying, train yourself daily so that when you're out there running, when you're out there competing, when you're in this walking in the spirit, you are becoming more and more and more and more like Jesus. But here's what happens. Because training regimens, we have training regimens. We go, we go for 90 days. Hey, let's train for 90 days. Hey, let's try this training regimen. And let's do this training regimen. In, in, in our minds, we think, we're one and done. And, and so what happens in this race, we think, I got what it takes. I, you know, I got enough. I can finish this marathon. No, the, the point is this. You and I will always be training ourselves it's not one class and we're done. It's not three conferences and we got what it takes to finish this race. It's, it's not one chapter of fight club or one chapter of training camp. It's not four years of college. It's not reading through the Bible one time. It's the, the completely opposite. We train daily. And what are the areas that we train in? There's four areas. Jesus grew. Luke 2.52. Jesus grew in wisdom. Intellectually. Jesus grew in stature. Jesus grew physically. Jesus grew in his relationship with others, relationally. Jesus grew in his relationship with his father, spiritually. It's the four components of training. Physical, spiritual, intellectual, and relational. So this race is we're daily training ourselves in those four areas. And how you train? You set goals. You say, hey, here's how I'm going to become a better intellectual follower of Christ. Here's how I'm going to become a better physical, well-fit follower of Christ. Here's how I'm going to become a better spiritual follower of Christ. Here's how I'm going to love others and be a better relational follower of Christ. So the picture is you're daily training yourselves. By the way, Olympic champions don't stay in shape the rest of their lives because of their former training. They have to keep working at it. You can't go to an Olympic champion of 1980 and, and, and find him and think, hey, didn't those like those six years of you winning that Olympic medal, aren't you glad you trained? You can't expect who's someone who, who is 20 Thirty-six years down the road from the Olympic medal to say, hey, they're still running fast. They're still they're still fit in all four of those areas. They're still fit physically. They can't say, I trained, I was ready back in 80, and I'm ready now. No, it's this picture of daily training ourselves. So Paul's looking at this group and he said, Hey, you need to go after every single day. You're in this race, run in such a way to win the prize. Yet way too many Christians are sitting on the track talking about their glory years instead of creating new ones so that Christ gets more glory. Is that you, by the way? Well, I used to. Let me tell you 20 years ago what happened. Let me tell you five years ago what happened. Let me tell you when I used to serve. Let me let, let me tell you. It's an everyday jaunt. It's an everyday run. It's an everyday Exercise to becoming more and more and more and more and more like Christ. Way too many Christians run the race stop and go. Stopping, going. I'll catch up later. It's the person running this race, and, 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 and they used to be able to run with you. Because they, they've been training with you, and they're, they're fit with you, and it's a different season of life, and, and, and they, they've stayed fit along the way. They've worked hard because you have to. Just think from a purely physical element. Like, I can't and you can't bank on the way we used to run when we were 18, the way we used to run when we were 20, and think all that exercise I did That there's no way that I can do what I did when I'm 18 and I'm 54 years old. It is impossible for me to say I can continue to run like I did then without continuing to train. It takes work, daily work. There's not a quick fix to this discipline journey. But isn't that what we want, though? I mean, think, we're a fast drive, fast food. Give me the drive-through version. I mean, even think about health. Just, just purely talk about that. How many of us, like, if I could take three pills a day and didn't have to exercise at all, I'm in. Like, that's what we're looking for. Aren't we looking for the quick fix? Now, now, I don't need to exercise 90 minutes a day. They got it down to seven minutes a day. If I go like this, I'm good. Like, that's the version we want. Seriously, we have so bought in to the philosophy that, that we need a drive-through version. And when I read the Bible, it's daily. It's, it's hard work. It's relying on the Spirit. It's blood, sweat, and tears for Jesus. See, that's the picture. We don't like that, though, do we? That means we may have to get up earlier. That means we have to stay up later. That means that, that, that we might actually have accountability. Someone's asking how we're doing. That means that we actually might have to be part of a small group and get community and fellowship. That means we may actually have to mentor someone or be mentored by someone. But I like doing that, and I like, that's easier. No, listen. Daily training. Why? Listen to me. Why? Because we get to represent the kingdom of God. Listen, you. You won't put a jersey on me? You put that jersey on me. Like, who are you running for? I'm running for Jesus. <laughs> like every day when you run, that's what you should say. I'm, I'm running for Jesus. And, and I'm, I'm gonna stand in, in the midst of adversity and I'm gonna press on because Christ lives in me. There's no quick fix. Listen to me. For those of you who want you want you want the two-week version of discipleship, let me tell you, it doesn't happen. <laughs> And here's the picture. We continually should be growing and becoming more like Christ as we age. Another thing about this race, this marathon, there is an enemy who's hiding in the bushes ready to trip you up. But take heart. Hold your finger here and turn over just one book to Colossians chapter 2, lest you forgot. Look look at Colossians chapter 2. Yes, there is an enemy and he's in the bushes and he wants to trip you up but take heart of this. Look at Colossians chapter 2. Paul sends this reminder to the church at Colossians because they they, they were falling and and, and they were getting discouraged, and he needed to remind them of a truth. And I'll remind us today. Look at Colossians chapter 2 and verse 15. Paul says, and having disarmed, The powers and authorities. He made a public spectacle. That's Jesus. Triumphing over them by the cross. Look what it says. And having, doing what to the enemy? Having dis what? Armed the powers and authorities. Here's what that means. Listen, here's what that means. Satan has no weapon that can defeat you. (laughs) Did, Did you hear me? No weapon formed against you will ever prosper. Here's what that means. When Jesus went to the cross, he took your sins, he took my sins, he died for him. Listen, he did, he, he's not just on the cross anymore. He was buried and he's resurrected. He disarmed Satan. Listen, Satan doesn't have a weapon that can stop you. I, I would say, let's put it in modern vernacular. The only gun control that has and does work is the gun control policy God put on Satan. It works. He yanked it from him, took it away from him. It's incredible, incredible. So when you think your day is tough. When you think you can't go on, it's in your weakness that Christ is strong. And we are overcomers in Christ because he disarmed Satan. Satan doesn't have a weapon at all. All he has is a finger and a thumb, and you're letting him bully around with a finger and thumb. You look in his face, and you tell him who he is, and you tell him what your God did, and you say the name Jesus, and he flees in this race. So Paul is looking at his life, and he's saying there's no quick way to this discipleship journey. There's no quick way to, to getting all four of these areas down. It requires work. Lace up your shoes every day and stay at it. But we say, I don't like running. I don't like working. I don't like reading. You know why? Let me tell you why. We're lazy. Do you hear me? You're lazy. I'm lazy. When we say we don't want to do something, you know why? Because we're lazy. We don't like to hear us say, but let me tell you, when you have the ability to hear me out, when you have the ability to say yes and the ability to say no. When, when you have the opportunity to tweak your schedule to get up earlier to read God's Word or stay up later. When you have the ability to say no to more food or yes to more food. When you have the ability to, to be in community or not be in community. The only reason, listen to me, the only reason we don't is because we're lazy. Some of you don't like that, but hey, I know when I'm lazy. I know when I say no because I'm lazy. But listen, we have Christ living in us and we get to represent the kingdom of God. Let's run with him and let's show the world that our God is great. I think that's one of the biggest problems in Christianity. Laziness. You can do way more. Hear him, hear him. Hear. Not on your own strength. You can do way more than you think you can in the power and authority of Jesus Christ. Give him a chance. Quit saying no. Say, Lord, in your strength and in your power, we're going to do this. You see, at the end of his life, Paul even said this. Turn over one other book, two other books. To, he, same guy. He's, he's writing to Timothy. Now he writes a, Second Timothy chapter 4. Look what Paul says. Paul's getting near the end of his life. Same Timothy that he's in prison here with. He writes him a letter. He's at the end of his life. And he says this in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 13. Look what Paul says to Timothy. Timothy gets this letter. He opens up his mailbox. I got a a letter. I got a letter from Paul. And Paul says this. He's at the end of his life. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 13 says, When you come, Timothy, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas. And my what? What's the word? Scrolls, especially the what? Now think about it. Paul has been saved for 25 years. He's dying. And even at the end of his life, he says, Timothy, when you come, bring my books, bring the Bible, bring my cloak and bring you. Why? Because I want to keep growing. I want to keep reading. I want to keep learning. And I want you to come because I want to keep mentoring. Even at the end of his life, life. He was giving himself away. What a man of God. So he's standing there and saying, saying, church, listen, you might not feel like you can make it another day. And listen, some of you, listen, you, you're not leaving the race, so you might as well run. Some of you have just acquiesced, and you've been sitting here for three months all summer long, like, I'm just sitting here. I'll get back in soon. You're losing ground. Paul says, get up. Too much is at stake. Too many people need Christ. Get up and run, run, run for the prize. Paul did at the end of his life. There's still work to do. You see, the problem is this. We're not as strong and wise as we think we are. And God still has work to finish in us. (laughs) Amen? Like, I think at 54 years old, God is still (laughs) refined. He's got a lot more work to do. Like, it's not like, whoo-hoo. Paul says, I, not that I've already obtained this or I've already arrived. Like, like, I got it all down. I took enough Bible classes. and I read the Bible enough. And I'm fit enough. And I'm great at relational skills. And listen, I got the Bible memorized. And I don't struggle anymore. He says, no, no, no. Not that I have any of this. I know that I must keep daily training myself to win the prize. So how do you do that? You set goals. <laughs> it's very simple, by the way. You have to set goals. I mean, how do you know how, if, how do you, how do you, how can you get from point A to point B to point C? You set a goal. So you put a target out there. And, and, and maybe, maybe, maybe here's some. maybe here's one relationally. Say this year, I'm going to forgive someone that I had chosen not to forgive. Maybe this is the year You're just going to do it. You're just going to go forgive someone. Finally, instead of holding that bitterness and resentment towards a church, towards a family, towards a family member, towards a boss, towards a pastor, towards a mother, towards a dad, towards a wife, towards a husband, say, this year I'm going to set the goal. Here's the goal. I will forgive this person this year. Maybe this year you set a goal. I'm going to be extra generous. I'm going to tap in to even my retirement and bless someone. Set a goal. The only way it's going to happen, you set a goal. And you get to the end of the year, did I do it? It's something that you can measure. Did I or didn't I do it? Otherwise, if you don't have goals and you wake up each day and you just kind of, well, let's see what happens today. How many of you have ever set a goal to lead someone to Christ? How many of you right now have a goal in your life that this year I want to lead someone to Christ? You know what happens when you have that goal? You start looking for them. This could be the day. You wake up every day, open up your eyes. Look up and say, this could be the day someone's going to find Jesus Christ. And they're going to trust in him. You see, when you have that goal, you live differently. You have purpose in your life. Maybe this year, intellectually, you want to grow. Now, how are you going to grow? You put a goal out there. Say, this year, I'm going to read five books. And I'm going to read maybe in leadership and I'm going to read in discipleship and I'm going to read what it means about family or how to be a better husband or better wife or better son or better daughter or better teacher or better pilot. I'm going to learn to grow intellectually. If you don't have a goal, you won't hit the target. Maybe this this is the year. How many of you have said this year I'm going to lose 50 pounds? And so you start out and say, I'm going to do it. But then somewhere you don't have a goal. You don't have a plan. You don't have accountability. And you don't have anyone getting in your face, loving you enough, and, and without you getting upset because they're in your face, like grow up, would you? You ask me. And say, so I'm going to have a plan by the end of the year. And so daily you go after it. Maybe this year you say, you know what, I'm going to be, I'm going to be better in the area of hospitality and relationship. I'm going to actually get to know my neighbors. Start out with one neighbor. How many of you live in communities where you don't even know your neighbor's names? And they've lived in your community for months, years. You wave at them. What was their name, honey? I don't know. Listen, this year, it's called barbecue. Got there, barbecue grill. And you go knock on the door and say, hey, we're having a gathering. Listen, why don't you come over? We're having some hot dogs. And listen, if they say no the first time, fine. Just because they say no the first time doesn't mean you can't ask them the second time, and the third time, and the fourth time, and you begin praying, and your kids are praying, oh, Lord, soften their hearts, and maybe you spend time fasting. Oh, God, please, Lord, give us a chance. But do you have a goal to be hospitable? You see, if you don't have goals, then you're just running aimlessly in life. Paul says, train, set, Achieve. Go after the goal that's there. And then he says this in this journey. Look back at Philippians. He says this. Verse 13, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. One thing I do. One thing I do. The way he says, forgetting what is what. What's the word? Forgetting what is what. Forgetting what is what. And straining forward toward what is what. Forgetting what's behind and straining. It's the picture of the runner crossing the finish line. The athlete with his, his, his body completely arched and trying to get to the finish line. It's just straining towards the finish line. Every day we wake up, get on your mark, get set, go. It's not looking back and it's just forgetting what is behind. Learning from it, Wisdom learns from it, but straining towards the goal. It's such a profound truth that Paul is giving here. In other words, he's saying, leave there, there. Way too many runners in the Christian race, however, spend so much of their lives looking back. A runner's eyes is always fixed on the path in front of him, knowing that somewhere out there, there's a finish line. That I'm going to run until I find that finish line. And the picture is straining to what's ahead. It, 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 in other words, you don't drive through your rear view mirror the whole trip. Like, you didn't come to grace today like this. What's going to happen? Like, if you drove the whole way here like that, you wouldn't have made it here, by the way. Because you would have crashed and burned. It's a picture that, the, quit looking behind, forgetting what's behind you. You drive looking ahead out of the windshield, but it is helpful every once in a while to look in the rearview mirror to remind yourself that, that, okay, I don't want to do that again. Watch out. It's this picture of, it's a glance. It's a glance. It's not staying there and, and spending time there. It's just this glance, but it's looking out the front windshield. He's saying, forgetting what's behind, not lingering looking out the, the rearview mirror. It's a glance and say, oh, I'll never do that again because I know what happens, but I'm straining forward. It's a beautiful picture of a runner running. Why? Because we should never be controlled by our past. Way too many Christians are running, looking over their shoulders. Like, imagine you enter a road race. Can you imagine Brian, I see you right here. You like to run. Can you imagine running a road race like this? I mean, after a while we think, what's up with that dude? Like, has he got an inferiority complex or what? Like, can you imagine just running, looking over your shoulder the whole way? You don't run looking over your shoulder. There's only two things from the past. Two things that we have a tendency to want to go back to. And Paul's saying, just forget it. There are two things that, that want to draw us back. And here's the first concept. A great accomplishment that either makes us proud by reliving them or stationary by resting on them. You see, he's saying, quit looking back at what has already been done. Don't stay there and say, let me tell you, 25 years ago, you think you did something? I'm tell you what I did. Or stay in there and continue to, to relive them. Like allowing that one thing that took place, this great move of God, say, Well, I don't need to do anything else because I did what I needed to do. No, it's the picture of pressing on. I love praise time, by the way, because we know that praise pushes back darkness. And when you share your testimony, you overcome the evil one. The evil one is overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony. You want to get Satan out of the preference of your area and out of the spatial area of you? You want to walk in victory daily, daily, praise God. Daily, 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 praise God. Daily, daily share your testimony because when you speak truth about Jesus, Satan runs you want to get darkness out of your home, you want to get darkness out of your relationships, you want to get darkness out of your marriage, then daily, you and your wife, just praise the Lord. And when you share the testimonies of what God has done, Satan is overcome. But think about this for a second. Praise time is a reflection of something that took place in your race. I would say it this way. I love hearing people share their praises, but I'm also turn my ear To the time stamp of your praise. Because the time stamp of your praise reveals to me and others the pace of your race. Think about that for a second. The time stamp of your praise, when, reveals the pace of your life. Because if you're always going back when it's praise time, and your praise time is six months ago God did this, six months. months ago God did that. Six years ago. If the praise time stamp isn't recent, then I can tell you something. That the pace of your life has slowed to a walk. Because if your time stamp is yesterday, if your time stamp is today, it tells me that you're moving because God is getting glory. So listen next time you hear someone get praise. Do they keep talking about six years ago and 16 years ago, 20 years ago, last year? Or is the timestamp of their praise last week, two weeks ago, that reveals the pace of your run? So Paul says, forgetting what's behind, don't go back and look at your accomplishments and spend all the time there. Because what happens if you just go back there, then you pause then you stay there, you acquiesce, you develop a mediocre life. He says, no, keep running, keep getting those stamps of praise along the way. You know what else we want to look back and he says to forget? Our failures, our defeats, our sin. That can not do anything but arouse the feelings of guilt and shame. Why in the world is it that we want to go back to that cesspool in our lives? When the Bible says that there is now, therefore, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Returning there and recalling those horrific events zaps us of energy and effectiveness for today and derails us and demonstrates from us from doing something that God's grace has already covered. It's like, it's like saying, this morning, I know there's a race out in front of me. I got 10 miles to run and train today. Let me, I'm going to eat a whole box of Rise and Roll donuts. Like, why would you do that? Why spend time there? Like, how many of you do this? You run, and the enemy whispers. Remember when you did this six weeks ago, ten weeks ago, and you stop." And you ask God to forgive you of something that you already asked him to forgive you of six weeks ago. And you let that thing from your past instead of forgetting. You see, when Christ said he forgave you, he already took it to the cross. Listen, he has forgiven you. Quit asking for forgiveness for the same thing over and over and over and over. Forget what's behind and press on. If you have repented of your past, that means you are running in the right direction again. Let me just visualize that for you. Okay, you sin, and I sin, and I'll sin today, and I'll sin tomorrow, and I'll sin the next day. If you and I repent of our sin, when we sin, here's the picture, you're running this race. You're trying to find that finish line. You're running this race. You sin. It says when we sin, we go in an opposite direction. What happens is, we're in this race, we can't exit, we can't leave, because God has us in his hand, and what happens is, we start going in the wrong direction. And when we repent, the Greek word is moneo. And when we repent, it means to turn and go in an opposite direction, the direction we're supposed to run. So here's the picture in this race. Some, right now, are running in the right direction. Some are in sin, and they're running in the wrong direction so what are we supposed to do we're supposed to say dude where are you going let me grab you listen repent the person repents We're supposed to have accountability. We're supposed to love them. We're supposed to do a bunch of one another's grace, love, forgive, because we want them. We're all representing the kingdom of God, and there's a world watching us. So listen to me. Dude, turn it around, okay? Grab him. He confesses, and he starts running with you. Let me ask you a question. Which way are you running right now? Listen, you can't go in this direction and find the goal that God wants for today. You need to repent. Here's what I know to be true as we age. This has nothing to do with who you are and your personality. As we age in Christ, as we mature, like some of us have been saved. I I, I came to find Christ at a very early age and I praise the Lord that he saved me from the foundation of the world. And I'm grateful that, that by his grace in a Sunday school classroom for me, when I was four years old, listen, by God's grace, I have known Jesus Christ for 50 years. Now think about that for a second. I do. The responsibility of me knowing Christ for 50 years should be, should be reflected in the way that I live. The responsibility in you knowing Christ for 10, 20, 30 years, like we should be so much further down the path in our boldness. We should be so much further down the path in our faithfulness. We, we should be bolder, braver, and more like Jesus than we've ever been. But are we? Let I me mean, ask you, as you age, are you? Like, as a 30-year-old, are you bolder and braver than you were when you first came to Christ at 18? As a 40-year-old, are you bolder and braver than when you came to Christ as a 30-year-old? As a 50, 60, 70, like as we age, listen, as you age and as I age until God calls us home, and for 70, 80, and 90, we should be the boldest, bravest people for Christ on planet Earth. There's no excuse. So are you? What's your excuse? You see, we must face forward anticipating what is around the corner of the turn, fully relying on the Holy Spirit in this adventurous quest called life in Jesus. We are called to win the prize. And what's the prize? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Like, that's the prize. Like, (laughs) listen— We stand on the, they play the kingdom of God music and we're walking in our Olympic stand. We get to stand before Jesus and they bring down the kingdom of God flag and we get to hear the narrator say, not first place, not second place, but third place. Here's what we want to hear. Well done. That's the goal. And every day that you and I get up, we work towards it. Paul had a deep dissatisfaction, holy discontent, with where he was. Think about that. And he wanted to continue to press on. He said, I want the goal to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and to know his suffering. Not that I've obtained all these things. And think about it. Come on, Paul, you're in prison for Christ and you haven't. No, I haven't. I still got learning to do. Think of all the ways we work and train to win something. Imagine if we poured that much effort to win the prize that God has called us towards. Goals are put in front of us to achieve a task. Let me just give you a a, a short example. If you run in a race, and you have a goal out there, and you want to run a 5K, 10K, or whatever it is, you have a daily regimen that you run. If you want to do it well, because we should do it well for the Lord— Work as if you're working for the Lord. We should do it well. And what happens is when you have a goal out there, what happens? You find yourself that you have to do this on this day and this on that day and this on that day. Let, let me give you a zone. By, by God's grace, the Lord has allowed us to have health to be able to run, my family. And, and, and we don't take that lightly. We try, to take, we, try to, we try to work as hard as we can. Because the Holy Spirit lives in us, so we're training for a half marathon. It's a stage of life that right now. You know, I've run a marathon, I've run half marathons. I've, you know, you, you know what I've done. But it, there's a half marathon out there, and you know what? You put that goal out there. I, I'm running. I have a 17 week training plan. It's a daily training myself. We're in week eight, and week eight is yesterday was a nine mile run, and and then Thursday night we had a we had a six mile run, and, and but it was difficult because that. We were at, a, and I were at a wedding rehearsal down in Plymouth. There was a sweet couple in our church, Carrie Mash and Josh Yales are getting married. We're down there and it's eight o'clock at night and we're ready to eat and they bring out this food. Holy cow. It was like, woo. And I'm thinking, I got to run. I can't eat that. So I had a choice to make. Well, what we'll, we'll limit. And then we're sitting there and, and honey, I said, honey, we, we got to get home. I said, I got to run. I got to run six miles tonight. Why? Because the goal was, if I wanted to finish this race and finish it well, then I got to get home. So we got home, it was 8.45 at night. You know what we did? Went in, put shorts on, and took off running. Let me tell you, if that goal wasn't in front of me, I would have went home and ate chocolate chip cookies. Set a goal. You see, some of you, you're in this race, you don't even have goals. Like, well, I hope I, hope I make it. Paul says, train yourselves to be godly. Here's the problem. We have so many stop-and-go Christians. Here's the real problem. We have a world full of starters, but horrific finishers. Some of you are great starters. Yeah, start! You see them, they line up, they start, they get the plan out in place, and they they show up for the first meeting, the second meeting, and then you see the waning take place. We need Christians that not only start well, but finish well. You know what starters do? They talk about their new plan. Starters buy the video and the membership, but never finish it. Starters go to the first and second meeting, but not the last meeting. Starters promise their wives and husbands or mom and dad, this time I'll do it, but they never finish. Starters say this, this time is going to be different, but it never is. starters start a book but never finish it this is a great read let me read the first three chapters and they, oh i don't want to read more then something happens they wake up that first week and realize that it won't happen by themselves they realize that the old habits and old temptations don't disappear on their own that it's hard work And they begin to return to the long list of excuses that they've heard, and you've heard, and I've heard a hundred times before. And here's what they are I'm too busy. I have this health problem. It's too difficult. I'm sick. This hurts. The dog bit me. I overslept. And they sit on the race path in neutral for months, even years, when God has called us to run. Let me ask you a question. Are you a great starter and not a good finisher? Listen, the the Holy Spirit lives in you. You got what it takes to start well and finish well. Amen? It's a choice. Some of you just need to give yourself a good kick in the rear go. Listen, we're tired of listening to your excuses. Your husbands are tired of it. Your wives are tired of it. Your moms are tired of it. Your dads are tired of it. And the Lord God above says, run! The day of reckoning is coming too, Grace. Jesus didn't die on the cross for us to wallow in complacency. Get up and run and lean towards the finish line. Four months ago, I stood on this stage four months ago at the beginning of the quest series, and I ask you this question. Will you be in the same place, in the same seat one year from now, and not in a different place spiritually, spiritually, physically, relationally, and intellectually, will you come back and be seated and you'll hear the same message again and there has not been any forward progress in your life? Listen, don't let that happen. Too much is at stake. So I ask you today, have you gained any ground? Any more ground? in this race lace up your shoes keep moving don't look back there's hope in the future the prize is yet to be won oh lord help us today there are so many of us god that need this message every one of us needs a reminder we have excuses <laughs> from top to bottom Many of us are so unhealthy spiritually. We are unhealthy physically. We are unhealthy relationally. We are unhealthy intellectually. And all we have to do is follow you, God, and your example through Jesus Christ. And today, we need to train ourselves to be godly. It is time. It is beyond time. It's time. And the race. And the finish line is in front of us. Help us, God, to run and win the prize. In Jesus' name, amen.